0: Howdy, and thanks for tuning in to the Homestretch Podcast 101 plus tips for navigating assisted living and nursing homes. My name is Chad Schmidt and here you'll discover the questions to ask from the researchers, professionals and institutions so that you can make a more informed decision. And today I'm excited to have a special guest who works for a hospice company in Houston, Texas. Our guest today is Erica Tanksley. She's an alternate administrator for A Hug Away, located in Katy. And today we're gonna talk about what hospice is, what a hospice nurse does, what they monitor, what happens if medication is abused, who qualifies for care, and more importantly, what questions you should be asking a provider before going ahead and making a buying or purchasing decision on who's going to care for your loved one. So let's dive right in. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoy this 29 minute conversation that we have with Erica. What actually
1: is hospice because there's probably a lot of people that have a preconceived notion about what that is. And I know for me, when my grandmother went to the doctor and the doctor told my mom and her best friend that my grandmother needs to be put on hospice, my mom assumed, as well as I did, this is a death sentence. She has six months left to live, and we need to prepare that grandma is going to pass soon so is that an accurate belief to have about what hospice is
2: a lot of times what people do is they do have that misconception of saying okay this is in this is it but no we're here to support to help and to be there with you from the beginning to the end and just making sure that that patient and that client is comfortable making sure that we're there for them.
1: Now, you're saying patient and client, which are those the same person or are those two separate people
2: sometimes? Well, the, pa- the patient and the client. And what I mean is, yeah, I would say two separate people because you're there for the family, which is the caregivers and all of the families surrounding the patient, which can also be the client. But we are just both. We're there to support the family and the patient.
1: And a hospice nurse is somebody that is there only for a few minutes every single day or they're with the patient or the client every moment, 24-7?
2: No, so when facility, the facility is there the, 24, the 24-7. We're there to bridge it for the hospice side of it. So the nurse is usually there depending on the type of assessment we do and the diagnosis of the patient. It can be anywhere between five days a week. It can be as little as once every day. It could be once every other week. It could be once or twice a week. It just depends on the frequency and the actual assessment for that particular patient.
1: Okay, so when you're going to a facility and the facility already is providing 24-hour supervision, what is it that you actually do on a visit? So we
2: come in and we do the comfort care. We come in with the comfort for the patient as far as the meds. We're there to make sure that all of the needs are being taken care of in that facility so the aide will still come in and give that bath and take those vitals. Come in and do some teaching, depending on, again, what the diagnosis is and letting them know what to expect. And then talking to the patient on the spiritual level. If needed, we do send our spiritual guidance out, our bereavement, and our counselors out.
1: So a hospice nurse isn't going to be doing dressing. It's not going to be doing the changing of underwear or take bathing and doing a shower and all that,
2: or is it? We we do. We do. So what happens is in a facility, they are there as far as that's where they are going to, that's where their residence is. So it's as if they were in a home. So we still go out and give the bath, and we still go out and do and continue to do the if they have wound whatever is pertaining to that particular diagnosis is what we also focus on so say the patient does have a wound and the diagnosis may be let's say cancer and the wound is not healing due to the cancer so we make sure that we also take care of that wound if it's going to be a week if it's going to be five days a week two two times a day it, it just depends on that particular plan of care for that particular patient but we are there to do completely hospice care and make sure that we're given that comfort measure to be able to make sure that the patient is doing okay and doing fine in in, in that state.
1: Is a hospice nurse just a nurse? Like they're not a doctor, they can't prescribe medications, and if so, does that mean that if the patient needs to go see a doctor that you guys would be able to, Arrange for that,
2: So what happens is hospice we have medical directors the medical director a lot of time takes over the case Every so often a doctor will follow their patients to hospice But most of the cases the medical director is there so what the nurse the, the hospice case manager nurse does the hospice nurse what she or he does is give their recommendations and what they may find at the home and tell them what is needed so if they get to the home for example or the facility and they find that they need the different type of medication or increase in medication for that comfort or just maybe oxygen or a suction machine what they do is they order those through the medical director and receive those items the same exact day just within hours
1: so you're talking let's say for instance somebody that needs a CPAP machine because they have trouble breathing while they're sleeping at night you would be able to coordinate with the doctor that, hey, this piece of equipment needs to be ordered. We're going to order it. We'll go pick it up and have it ready for them when they go to sleep. Is that like an example?
2: That is correct. That is correct.
1: And then as far as medication, I've heard stories. didn't experience this for myself, but I've heard of stories where there is somebody that does provide 24-hour care and there's an abuse of medication that's taking place either The nurse that's taking care of the patient is the one that's either giving the patient too much medication or in some cases they're stealing the medication either for themselves or stealing it to sell to somebody else. So a hospice nurse monitors the frequency of the medication that the patient is taking in relation to how much is left, to make sure that there's not an abuse that's taking place there, or no.
2: So what happens with that when, when that happens? So it's, it's it's two two answers to that. You can't order narcotics medication before the refill. So you can't call, you cannot call a pharmacy and ask for additional medication when they know that they just prescribed something. So that's the first thing. So a nurse cannot say okay, I'm going to give these medications today and then tomorrow order what they ordered yesterday. Of course, that's a red flag on so many levels. And then the pharmacy will not um, distribute that medication because they know they gave you 10 days of narcotics and we cannot give you additional medication. And then the second part of that is that you do have those two different nurses. So you have a registered nurse, which is a, a nurse who has to do the initial assessment. Then you have what's called a licensed vocational nurse who follows the RN, the registered nurse. So the LVN normally is, the, is the, the nurse that follows in most cases. So you have two nurses in there to be able to count those medications and to make sure that they're leveling it out and they have it on the same page when it comes to that. It also has to be reported to the medical director on what was counted. So there are three different entities that have to count that medication. It's not based on one, Nurse, there are three people who have to make sure that medication is correct, and it has to go through the medical director, which is the doctor.
1: Okay, so maybe the question that I ask applies more to somebody that's not at a facility where they have a, a private individual that they've either hired to come to the house, or it's a family member that is the caregiver for the mom or the dad. And in that situation where there might be an abuse or lack of administering medication, when the hospice nurse comes to visit, how is it that that happens?
2: You want to know what the outcome is of when something like that happens? Yeah. If it does happen, that is to be reported to the state that that medication was distributed incorrectly. But again, it's still the same protocol. You still have to go through all of those different entities to make sure that there is a check and a balance when it comes to medication. If there's any type of abuse to the medication, it does have to be reported. And from there, the medical social worker, the state, and also the medical director, along with the nurse, with the family, are all involved in in this now open case to what happened to these narcotics.
1: And the reason why I asked that question is because I was talking with a sales representative and he proceeds to tell me that he had hired a nurse, gone through the interview process, and he had done this very frequently because the pay that he was able to afford didn't really keep any nurse around for a length of time. So he had to repeatedly interview people to come take care of his dad. And on one occasion, the person passed the background check that he did prior to hiring this individual. And one day there's 27 pills in the bottle and he gets home from work and realizes that there's only three pills left in the bottle and his dad's in a bunch of pain and he only has three more pills to take and the pharmacy is not gonna refill the prescription because that's a red flag medication was administered properly so he confronted the nurse who denied it and then ultimately called the law enforcement and law enforcement put him under investigation because he was now a suspect for abusing his father's medication ultimately they discovered that it was the nurse who originally denied it and it was a whole nother stress that he was put under And so I'm curious for those individuals who either are unaware that that actually takes place or those that have had that experience, how hospice plays a role. So it sounds like you provide some checks and balances and can take the legal steps necessary to either getting that nurse or that individual's license revoked or suspended
2: correct and that's why it's so important to make sure that you have those checks and balances that you're not depending on one nurse or one entity there are four different entities involved in that case
1: so now that we talked a little bit about what hospice is and what it entails and some of the benefits I'm wondering who actually qualifies for hospice
2: so the way that it works is if you have a terminal diagnosis once that happens your insurance is then informed once your insurance receives the proper documentation needed as far as the order and any medical necessity information needs to be given to the insurance, and let me just give an example. The patient is over 65 years old, and they have Cigna as the insurance. What happens is in hospice, in most cases, it converts over to Medicare. Now, it turns over to Medicare, and Medicare becomes the primary to take over the hospice benefits and it's no longer Signa. Let's say that the patient is 65 years old and the and it is Signa and they don't have Medicare or they're under 65, then what happens is, depending on that insurance, it could be 90 days for hospice benefits. It could be five months that the hospice benefit is going to be in effect. And so it just depends on that particular individual and their insurance and what they carry. It does not matter what age they are, With a terminal illness, you can qualify for hospice. It can be from the age of one to the age of 101. Okay.
1: When the doctor diagnoses somebody with a terminal illness and that they need to have the loved one put on hospice care, is it the responsibility of the family to find a representative to administer hospice, or does the doctor then make a recommendation as to who it is that they should have as a hospice provider?
2: It's both. So the doctor will recommend hospice. What happens from there, that's when the client may say, what do I do from here? A lot of times the doctor has recommendations of some of the companies he may know and gives the patient a list so they can decide and do their own research. You have some clients that will say, you know what, I want you to take over this because I want you to go ahead and lead me to the correct provider or agency that you recommend. And then it may be, I want to do my own research. I want to meet with five different hospice companies to find out who I want to go with. And they have that right. It is patient rights to choose exactly what agency they want. And sometimes you can have four or five interviews with several different hospice agencies.
1: Is there some insight that you can share on the providers of hospice that you're not going to find on Google, you're not going to find in a testimonial, what's some things that the listeners can be aware of, of maybe a question that they should really consider asking that person in an interview that they're not going to find on their company's website and they're not going to find in the Better Business Bureau and they're not going to hear through a testimonial. What's one or two great tips or advice that you can give to a listener that's having to go down this route of finding a hospice provider?
2: I would say I would say testimonials. I would say the five stars. I would actually look at that. I would see what those testimonials are, and then go from there. I would go to business, the the Better Business Bureau, and 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 see exactly what those ratings are. Um, those are really good tools, you know, to make sure you go on a website and there is no website, or you go on a website and there is no information. And then also just going through your insurance. The insurance will al always allow you as well to let you know what those hostage benefits are and what to expect with those benefits. And that's another route they can go.
1: Well, I'm I'm more talking about, like, should you be more apprehensive to hiring somebody that's only been in business for three years versus a company that's been in business for 10 years? Or should you be concerned about how many different Uh, care professionals that the hospice organization has and what the turnover is of the people that work there because is regularity an important part of the hospice care Mm -hmm. for the patient to know that, hey, this is a familiar face that I'm seeing. I'm talking about those kinds of questions.
2: Right. What happens is is you're sitting in front of a hospice a, a hospice company, a provider, and you're asking these questions they're going a lot of times they will let you not speaking for us because our our reputation and the hospitals and our doctors and our testimonials and that's what speaks for our company. It's not the longevity of of have been in business for twenty years. you know you you can't let that that be you know been in business for thirty years or been in business for eleven years it 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 has to be. That that touch, it has to be, you have a connection because now you're in this spiritual part of yourself to where now you're you're vulnerable. You're at a point to where you're wanting your loved ones to be taken care of. So you will feel that connection with, and that's why it's so important to sit down with several different hospice companies so that you can feel that, that touch, that personal touch is what you're looking for. They're talking about the patient, they're engaging in your concerns. and and, and how fast they respond. So when looking for a hospice company, I will say the response. When when, when I call and and that response over the phone, how I was greeted over the phone, just that first touch will let you know how that hospice company will will, will take care of you. You would be surprised at that first touch and that first conversation that you have with someone to let you know if that's the direction to go. You know, that, 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 first, that, first, that first encounter with that person, that first impression makes a difference. Well,
1: and, that, and that's why I asked that question is because there's listeners that are all over the country, United States, but there's also listeners that are in Canada, that are in Germany, that are in the UK. And when they find this podcast or this resource, oftentimes it's while they're in the midst of navigating through assisted living and nursing home. It's not something that they've planned for, typically. And their emotions are high. And sometimes people make decisions that aren't good decisions when their emotions are high. And so that's why I asked that question, is for the person that is having to make a decision quickly, to put their loved one in the care of a professional and they've never gone through this experience. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know what's important. And they're just going based off either a doctor's recommendation or they're going based off of whatever review that they saw online. I'm hoping that what advice that you have to give, how can that person be more confident with the decision that they're making to go with one hospice provider over another. And what questions should they be asking in that interview process that this is the one decision that they're gonna have to make, not have to make a second decision three weeks from now because the hospice provider that they originally met with wasn't the right fit for them. But they thought that it was when they first made that decision.
2: Right, that's one of those those things that we hope we get it right. And I think that a lot of times the doctor also assists with some of that. They do. They they try to do their best. they can to try to get get them to to make that that right decision as well. But as you were saying, like availability, knowing that that person is available for you, being able to meeting with them. Sometimes you you just have to meet with them. To find out if if, if you're comfortable and the questions that you will ask is availability and if they can't tell you what they do and how they can help you it's one of those things that you will know when when they can't answer the questions when they can't give you that availability when are you available to see us oh a week from now okay that's too long or
1: I come from a different kind of, of a world and I want to make sure that people have the the tricks, the tips, the questions to ask because they're not thinking about certain things like I'm thinking about because I've gone through this with my grandmother. I've watched what happened with with my mom and with my uncle and the emotional toll that it took on our family. So I realize that there's 10,000 people a day that are turning 65 years old and there's 4,000 people a day that are turning 85 years old And there's a lot of money that's able to be made in this industry, and some people get in the industry for the wrong reasons. And so there's people that know how to market and people that know how to sell, and they will tell the client everything that they want to hear that sounds good, but they may not have the systems and balances and checks in place with the right personnel to be able to fulfill the needs for the patient and for the family or the client to the best of the ability. And oftentimes, because they're under emotional distress and they're making the decision and they have very, very high expectations, and then once those expectations don't get met, then they start to feel bad about the decision that they made because the expectations that they set were either too high or the person that they met with sold them this big fancy dream about how great their services were and they missed the mark.
2: Right, right. Yes. So that's that's
1: why I wanted to talk with you, Erica, about figuring out what is it that somebody that can be more mindful about these red flags. And this episode is helping them be more confident and more comfortable with the decision and what questions that they need to ask when they sit in front of these five or six or however many people it takes to find the right company that's going to be the best fit. Because I'm having a difficult time understanding what those questions are, even with what you've shared in our you know, seven minutes that we've been talking about this subject because from my perspective, every hostage company is going to say the same words of comfort to try to make that person more comfortable with making a purchase and buying decision for them to go with their company. And I'm wondering if there's something that's maybe an, a, a key word if you haven't mentioned it already and if you have that you get a chance to reinforce how that person can try to filter through the bullshit that potentially a person is going to be giving them to get their business.
2: What I what I tell people often is just to make sure that when you do when you do meet with someone, because you are in an emotional state, if you have anyone else to take with you, if you have anyone to sit with you that is a support system, to be able to because you're emotional. That's your that's your sometimes you have a best friend or you have a stronger a stronger um, person in the family that could take it a little bit more or, or See this
1: uh, is what I'm looking for. This so is some, the answer that I'm so looking sometimes for.
2: Sometimes it's good to always make sure or maybe most of the times, it's good that you always take a support system with you so that where you're being you may be your vision may be you may your mind may be clouded because of the emotional distress you're going through. You have that supports this, like I said, a best friend, an elder sibling, um, a a relative that can say, okay, I know you're, this this is what I'm seeing, this is what I think that needs to happen. This person wasn't even on time when they came to the appointment. This person um, didn't even talk about um, what the needs are for the patient. They kept talking about the company. Um, And so those are the types of of support that I would hope that, that people have. Sometimes they don't have that support, and they will need to see if they can get the support from the doctor. And you you'll be surprised how some of the doctor's offices, the MAs, like the medical assistants or the nurses, will try to help as well to be able to do that. Um, a, a social worker, um, they try to help as well. So trying to get another piece of support to be able to help you make that decision so you're not making that decision al- alone.
1: That's more of the, where I was hoping to get... A little nugget of wisdom from you on how to better navigate through this decision of finding a hospice representative so thank you for that I want to kind of wrap things up here if there's something else that you haven't shared already that you think is important
2: I would say these are services that you have earned this person has has been here to make sure that they are part of society and they still want to make sure that somebody cares. And to know that hospice is here. Years ago hospice didn't even exist. When you when this was happening, your loved one was 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 diagnosed with a terminal illness, they would go to the hospital and they wanted to be in their home. They wanted to be where they were at, at more at peace. Um even in a facility, they wanted to make sure they were more at peace and not be in the hospital setting. So knowing that this is available and it's here for you. I think that people don't know that hospice is here. We're here so that you're not alone. And so um, that's what I would leave for the, for this broadcast, that we're out here and we care and we see you.
1: The last thing that I want to mention is that although my mother's and her friend's belief about having a hospice person for my grandmother was that she only had six months left to live, a grandmother ended up living two years or so from the date that she was told by the doctor that they needed to have a hospice representative. So she actually lived about a year and a half longer than we had originally anticipated because of the care that a hospice person provides and being able to have somebody that could provide 24-hour supervision. And we had a fabulous nurse that was able to have that Great connection with her, per, the, the nurse that was with her most of the days. And it was great to be able to give my grandmother a little bit extra life and give us as a family a few more moments
2: yeah.
1: and memories that we could have with my grandmother before she ultimately passed away.
2: Yes, absolutely. We have I have seen patients on hospice. You're absolutely correct for a year, you know, and and um, it, it really is. There's no time on, on death, and so it it could be six months in a year. And you're right; those precious moments that that you'll never get that back.
1: Well, Erica, thank you so much. I want to ask our listeners for a favor. First off, if you liked what you heard consider subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to it on. You can find us on an Apple podcast. You can find it on Google Cast, Spotify, and about eight other platforms. Also consider checking out homestretch101.com where you'll find a link to our conversation with Erica as well as the past guests that we've had and the upcoming guests Scheduled as well as news. The favor that I want to ask of our listeners is you never know when your time is up. And there's probably somebody in your life right now that you haven't had a conversation with for a while for whatever reason. And I want to encourage you to either send a text message. Pick up the phone and call that individual or write him a letter and let them know that you love them, that you care about them. Can you do me that favor? Let that person know that you're thinking of them, and have the courage to tell them that you love them. And with that said, until our next conversation, I wish you good health and eternal love and have a beautiful day.